to the Cash-Based Practice Owners interview series where I, Dr. Morgan Meese, PT, am interviewing different clinicians across the country who practice in a variety of ways, but all outside of being in network with insurance. The world of entrepreneurship and business for healthcare professionals is full of knowledge, creativity, and amazing people just like you who wanted something different. If this sounds like you and you're ready to get your business off the ground, please find me on Facebook in the Cash-Based Healthcare Entrepreneurs Group or on my website at morganmeese.com. I would love to speak with you. So please join me as I interview our guest today. This week's episode is with Brandon Smith, who gives us a masterclass on how to offer therapy, wellness, or fitness services online legally as a therapist. In this masterclass, he takes us through navigating the legal aspects of offering these virtual services, particularly with respect to things like insurance, licensing, and many other factors. Brandon is a home health physical therapist and creator of the Home Health Mentor course, as well as a law student and advocate for fair practice everywhere. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into it. I know that this has been um, a widely anticipated live stream tonight to talk about all things legal stuff um, with my good friend, the one and only Brandon Smith, um, who is now also in law school and helping PTs with legal stuff um, and healthcare law and everything. And I know you guys here in the group have a lot of questions about, um, you know, what can you do like legally, um, you know, especially across state lines with wellness, with fitness coaching um, and PT and everything and OT. And we're going to talk about all that kind of stuff tonight. Um, so if you are here with us live, let us know if you have questions as we're going. Definitely let us know. I have a few questions here submitted from the group um, and we'll just kind of have a discussion about healthcare, law, cash practice and online stuff. Um, so yeah, thanks for being here, Brandon. Uh, thank you for having me. If you guys have any questions, I guess, post them in the chat. We do have the question document that I guess we'll go through at some point, but just be sure if you have any questions to post them in the chat. Cool. Awesome. So, um, just to kind of like start things off, um, you know, for people who are newer to the group, if you could kind of share a little bit about you and your background really quick and let us know where you're coming from and then we'll dive into it. So I graduated PT school in 2018. I went directly into home health therapy, then left that job for a better home health job, figured out how to Grow my YouTube in that time and also teach people how to also make more money in home health. Ended up founding the only 10 CEU home health course that now also gives away cash prizes. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, so I've been a PT now for about, I guess, three years, mostly in home health. I've also had my online course growth, my YouTube, and now I'm actually currently in law school. I'm finishing up my first year of law school currently. Uh, the end goal is ultimately actually to grow my business, but it doesn't help having the ability to fall back on a 225k salary as a healthcare attorney. Um, so that's that's kind of what's going on with me. Subtle break. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, awesome. Um, and I know like you're joining us here tonight, which we're super happy that you're here to answer a bunch of like legal questions that everybody's having. Um, so we'll go ahead and get started with that. I have a few questions here, but I think one of the main things that people want to know is like, 
what's the difference between doing physical therapy, OT, speech therapy, and offering like wellness, health, fitness services? Like how do you differentiate those? So it's going to ultimately actually depend on the payer first. So if it's a Medicare patient, there's going to be a much stricter area that you're going to have to follow. If it's non-Medicare, it's not really going to matter as much. So when it comes to wellness, obviously wellness is anybody that wants to basically get better at their fitness, more like personal training, injury prevention. And most state practice acts will say that you can do direct access for these patients but you can mm-hmm. also do more wellness for these patients. Now, when it comes to Medicare, the safest way to go wellness for Medicare is to actually see them as a Medicare patient first. And then once they reach their max level of potential, switch them to a wellness program. However, you don't always need to do that, but that is the safest way as far as liability is concerned. Sure. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And like, that's definitely, you know, along the lines of what uh, Anthony Maritato, Tony was in here talking about a couple of weeks ago. Um, So I think, like you said, you know, Medicare is a thing, like, probably like, don't mess around with it, you know, like follow the guidelines and everything. But then when it comes to like, private insurance or uh, people who are just privately paying you cash for your services, um, it's kind of like, drawing the line for yourself like something that i i tell people to do is to come up with your own policy obviously like based on the guidelines and the laws and everything so that you're able to identify when people come to you whether they would qualify more for like skilled care or uh, wellness you know just so that your business has a policy and you're not just like kind of flying by the seat of your pants and making it up as you go um do you have any advice on like writing policies and procedures for that kind of thing So what I'm going to make clear is I did say that's the safest way to do it. That doesn't mean that you can't do it. Like if you wanted to and the patient wanted to pay you cash and they're Medicare patient, what's going to happen is that's actually going to be okay because the patient has rights as a patient and as a private entity to enter into a business contract with you. And for Medicare, people are like, oh, well, Medicare is going to come after you and the patient. The patient can say, hey, I don't want to submit this claim to Medicare hey, this is my contract with you. I want to pay cash. And that's okay. And you actually can see Medicare patients that way, as long as you have that recorded, signed on paper somewhere. Um, Actually, it doesn't even need to be signed on paper realistically, but to be safe, it should be. But just because Medicare has all these laws doesn't mean you take away the patient's rights. And I think that's where people get confused a lot is they're like, oh, well, that's a Medicare patient. I have to do this, this, this. No, you don't have to because a court would actually look down on that because it's looking at you violating the patient's rights if they didn't want that claim submitted and they have a contract with you to pay you cash for what they want. Anything Medicare says is going to be invalidated by a court because it's going to violate that patient's right to privacy. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So I guess like when you're first... I'm sorry. sorry. I said, I don't think that answers your policy and procedure question, but I'm sorry. I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah. But I mean, like being clear on whatever it is that you are doing and like you're planning on doing, I think having that probably like written down and organized just so that you're good to go is probably best practice, right? Yeah. So what I do, and this is going to sound cocky and arrogant, and I really don't (laughs) care at this point. But I've actually been making lots of contracts as somebody that's now studied contract law, understands when they get out of a contract, how to form a contract, when you need a written contract. 
So as somebody that does that, I've actually been doing lots of contracts for therapists, for staffing companies, for independent contractors. And what I've seen is if you get it from another therapist who has no background in the legal system, it's mostly trash. And I'm just being 100% honest with you is I've seen many contracts people have sent to me that they bought from other therapists. And it's like, okay, a six-year-old can make this contract and it's not legally valid in many states. And again, I'm not trying to be a dick, but it's like with the contracts I've seen recently in therapy, it's best to either reach out to myself or an attorney or somebody that actually knows what's going on in the legal system. You're going to be making these contracts and not take advice from a random person on Facebook or go buy a contract because everyone buys it because it's somebody that has now understood uh, contract law. Most of the contracts you're going to buy in therapy are trash. And that's just realistically what I've seen lately. Yeah. <laughs> I think like the main takeaway is probably like if you are really serious about offering any of these services, honestly, but like, especially if you're doing like therapy versus wellness, you want to have a contract and like a form in place that you have the patient sign and that clarifies everything. And then you should probably have it reviewed by somebody who's familiar with contract law to make sure that everything is kosher and good. To yeah. Know. Yeah. And I know I posted my, um, my wellness contracts and my form consent contracts before I've actually raised the price on those just honestly, I wasn't planning on, but after what I saw, I was like, I have to, I'm sorry. Um, just because, uh, just because it's like, I want you guys to like, realize like there is a quality standard that is set in contracts and yes, a verbal contract can be a contract under certain contract law principles, but realistically, if you have everything written down, uh, the court's going to uphold that the most, but you want to make sure it's legally valid. And that's the biggest thing I've seen with lots of contracts people have made up by themselves or got from Facebook groups is it's some random PT that made it at one point. And realistically, if you understand the elements of the contract, many of them don't hold up. So mm -hmm. we can go ahead and post those links if you're interested, or if you want to um, schedule a call with me about certain questions, we'll post that link as well at some point. Yeah, yeah, I think that sounds good. And I think like the major takeaway too from this is that like just because something is on the internet, I mean, Brandon has a ton of content. I have a ton of content. We both say all the things, you know, and direct you guys places. <laughs> You should also do your own research, you know, and have other people look at things. Um, you know, you should look into it yourself and try to figure things out yourself as well, you know, and that you're not just taking what somebody says and like going with it as like everything's correct, you know, especially when it comes to these contracts and everything. Um, so the next thing that uh, people really want to hear about. Is oh, I can I can add my last name to the thing. I think. Hold on. <laughs> I'm okay. sorry. I'm sorry. You're just one of those like one name people. There you go. <laughs> um, but the other thing that everybody always there asks is um, <laughs> state lines. What can I do across state lines and not across state lines? So if you're doing therapy, you're going to need a license to practice in the state where the patient is located. If you're doing therapy, if you're billing for telehealth, billing insurance, or stating that you're doing physical therapy, you're gonna need a license in the state wherever they're located. Also, if this person goes on vacation and goes somewhere else, you're gonna need a license in that state that they're vacationing in to make to bill appropriately under therapy. People won't really realize that, but say you're treating them in Texas and they go to Arkansas for a week and you don't have a license in Arkansas, well, technically you can't see them if you're billing insurance for therapy that week unless you also hold a license in that state. So mm -hmm. when it comes to therapy, 
you need to have a license in that state. And even with a compact license, I do believe you need compact privileges in the state where that person mm -hmm. is located. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You definitely have to make sure that you're registered and do all the compact stuff. Like just because you are in a compact state doesn't like automatically give you rights to all of the other compact states. Yeah. Um, so then if it comes to like wellness coaching, fitness coaching, health coaching online, how how do we take that legally um, if we are also a therapist and practicing that kind of thing across state lines? You can do whatever you want. I know people are like, you can't do that. But realistically, you can do whatever you want because what's going to happen? Granted, you're not putting a gun to somebody's head and saying, hey, buy this product because then, you know, you're for forcing them under a state of duress. Now, I'm assuming you're not doing that. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so because what's happening with that is so if it's a wellness, you can do wellness wherever. Look at personal trainers that have multi-million dollar empires, uh, physical therapists even that have built empires is what happens. So, I'll get to that in a second. Sorry. Um, as, as, so when you look at personal trainers, therapists who have built massive online empires, they go against state lines, international borders, everything, because it's a service. It's not therapy. You're not billing insurance. Usually there's also a terms and conditions on their website or somewhere in their payment policies, what you're getting. Also, because you're a free person or that your client's a free person, who is able to go and say, hey, I'm going to spend my money on this and they want to spend it on that and they're paying for that service regardless of coaching, wellness, et cetera, you are fine because they they assume the risk by buying that service. Now, they could go and sue you and realistically, that's probably not going to go anywhere unless they can show that you were negligent and whatever you told them caused them direct harm. So don't be negligent, but you can also have waivers and waivers are going to waive your risk. Like in any gym, you send a liability waiver. Now, most of the time, unless the gym is grossly negligent, that waiver is always going to hold up. Same thing goes with coaching, but because it's remote and everything is remote, you're most likely not going to be grossly negligent. You're most likely not going to hurt anybody. And the person is again, entering into a private business contract with you. And for that, for there to be any reper repercussions against you for that, the chances are slim to none realistically. Cool. Yeah. And hopefully that helps to put like a lot of um, people's minds at ease. You know, if you are offering skilled therapy services, you know, or like you said, billing insurance for those services, like pay attention to the state lines, um, you know, and like I tell people have clear boundaries on what therapy is and what your health or fitness or whatever coaching is, um, you know, and then have the proper contracts and waivers in place and just know what you're doing. Talk to somebody who's familiar with the law, like Brandon, um, make sure that everything's good to go. But you know, the stuff that we do under our license, pay attention to the state boundaries. If you're working with something else, like I do strength coaching across state lines and wellness coaching and stuff as well, then like that's a totally separate thing. Um, do you think it's important for somebody to get a different certification, like a CSCS or a personal training certification to help with this? It's really up to the individual. I don't think so. I think the DBT license is enough, but if you feel that you're going to feel like you get more clients or you just feel better about yourself doing it, go mm -hmm. ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. But and you may even get some liability insurance for remote coaching, which, again, you don't really need when you actually understand what's going on. 
-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, most things in therapy and fitness and wellness are just a cash grab to scare you in the liability when you could just save that money. Um, but even here, what uh, Karen said, aside from holding a PT license, do you need to register as a foreign entity to see clients in yeah. another state? Mm -hmm. No, you do not for for those purposes because your business is just billing under that and you should have a type two NPI, I'm assuming if you're doing super bills. However, if you're going to move to that state, then you would need a foreign entity in that state. But you know how obnoxious it would be to make foreign entities in every single state and how much money that's going to cost you. Just have your home business in your home state, your type two NPI if you're building insurance. And outside of that, you really don't need to because look again at multiple empires we've seen in personal training, therapy, their main business is located in one state and they see people all over the world. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I've gotten that question before too. Um, and then when it comes to wellness as well, for states that have limited direct access or no direct access, do I need a referral to offer wellness or fitness services as a PT? For wellness or fitness, you don't need anything. Even if you read the state practice acts for those states, it's not going to say anything about fitness or wellness. It'll say something about PT. You mm -hmm. may even say a PT can provide fitness services, but mm -hmm. you're not going to need a referral to provide fitness services. Again, if a person comes to you and says, hey, I want you to train me, that's a private contract between you and that person. Mm -hmm. And for a state board to meddle on that, it's actually a violation of privacy. Cool. That's good to know that, you know, we, <laughs> we have a say in everything that's going on too. Um, so cool. I know that was one question that somebody had. Um, let's see. And then um, I think we, I mean, we talked about kind of like the paperwork aspect of offering wellness or like really just any services across state lines, um, having waivers and um, like signed contracts, service agreements and everything. Is there any other paperwork that you can think of that might be helpful to have in place? Not really. I mean, an informed consent is always good to have. Informed consent is mm -hmm. always going to waive your liability. And the assumption of risk may also, but that kind of goes with the informed consent. So you're going to have an exculpatory clause or an assumption of risk clause they could sign. Usually mm -hmm. goes with the informed consent. And you're also going to have a terms and conditions of services. However, you may just have that on your website somewhere on there. And if they mm -hmm. click buy for that product without reading them, that's not a defense to the contract. So say they buy it and they're like, oh, I didn't read the terms and service. I want my money back. I'm going to sue you, blah, blah, blah. And because they didn't read it, mm -hmm. that's on them and they still chose to buy it. And then not reading the terms of the contract is not a defense to violating that contract. Cool. Good to know. Um, let's see. And then da, da, da. I've had this question quite a bit and I was hoping you could kind of clarify this. Um, but I know that there are people in the group right now searching for like different options for an HEP software or training software. Um, and so say like, I want to use a like personal training software to just do HEPs for patients. Um, and I do not bill insurance, um, doesn't need to be HIPAA compliant. So when it comes to HIPAA compliant software, what that really means and all you really need is you need to be able to have used, oops, sorry, I just in my hand. Um, so you need to have, actually hurt, you need to have uh, users that are able to log in so nobody else can just access it. So if it's a private account where you can go and access it and only you can access it or only the patient can see 
on the other end what's going on. And in some instances, you may need a backup system, but perhaps you really don't because you kind of know what's there, but you can always save a file on your computer or something like that, as long as the password protected. But realistically, if nobody else can use it, but you or the patient can see what they need to see on their end, you're completely fine from a HIPAA perspective. And again, when it comes to privacy, remember, I don't know why this is a thing in therapy or in healthcare, but it's like, HIPAA laws, but when you actually look at how courts hold up contracts and other things, it's like anything that violates a patient's rights or patient's privacy or even the healthcare provider's privacy or or rights outside of gross negligence, nobody's going to care about. Yeah. And that's good to remember that like we're nobody's like walking around like policing everybody all the time. You know, and it would have to be like something really, really big, you know, like you said, to cause any kind of issue. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if you're doing remote telehealth coaching, I mean, there is some risk with when it comes to needles because it's invasive. And if you're not careful with needles, you could damage somebody and that that's obviously gross negligence. But outside of that, in therapy, you're mostly fine. Yeah. Um, and I was just wondering, I know this wasn't on our question list, but can you kind of talk about like when it comes to HIPAA, you know, just reviewing like the security part of it versus the privacy part of it, and then like covered entities versus non-covered entities? Okay, give me one second. I pulled something up earlier, so just give me one second to make sure cool. I don't want to mess, mess up what I was saying. <laughs> And if you guys have any other questions as we're going through this stuff, make sure to comment in the chat box and we can talk about it. So basically a covered entity is basically anyone that must comply with the rules and requirements to protect the privacy and security of health information and must provide individuals with certain rights with respect to their health information. So that's, you know, obviously if you're doing standard insurance billing, and you're doing it as a healthcare provider, then yes, that's a covered entity. But again, it can come back to the contract and the, and the privacy. So I know, again, people scare you into certain things and what's required. Basically, as long as it's secure, patient's information is secure, no one can get to you, but you and the patient sees what they need to see, again, you're fine. When it comes to non-covered entities, that would be things outside of that. So when it comes, that would be like wellness and, and other things where you really don't need to worry about it. Cool. And I think that's, that's good to know too. Like, I think everybody always gets like really scared about HIPAA, like you said, you know, but for like a lot of us here who are doing either cash therapy or really, honestly, it's almost all of it's really like wellness services, you know, like a lot of people who choose to pay cash, um, you know, at least like here in the group, I know people that we work with, it's not like, you know, like an acute, injury or you know like a really high complexity case like a lot of it is really like wellness stuff and so like most of the people who are here in the group are probably non-covered entities um you know and so there's like a little bit less to worry about with that yeah also i'm going to say this too and people don't really like when i say this but it's to cover yourself so say you are accused of something I would never admit to it even if you did do it and i'm not telling you to lie i'm just telling you not to admit to it just because <laughs> uh -huh. Um, what's going to happen is someone ever accuses you of something, but there's no documentation that happened, or basically if someone comes after you, like a state board or something, like that, which probably won't happen, but if it did, the best thing to do is just say no, keep your mouth shut, don't talk to anybody, obviously seek an attorney in your state. But also one thing too is people don't realize, so say things just go bad and a state board comes after you, 
you can counter sue the state board and people don't realize that yeah the board's big and scary but you can sue the board and you can win so um so that's one thing i think people don't 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 realize is that people are scared of like state boards and things like that because they work hard to get their license but even if they did come after you you could then counter sue the board and win for damages and many other things and usually by keeping your mouth shut you're going to be able to do that yeah so like you probably are not going to make a mistake like everything like as long as you're following like the instructions and doing your due diligence and looking into everything you're probably going to be fine like 99.9 .9 chance you're going to be fine and even if something like did happen like there's still other things that you can do to make sure that you retain your license everything stays intact and you're okay and everything's fine yeah so what's going to happen is say things just go really bad what would happen for you to actually be in trouble is well first it's going to happen within two years most states have a two-year statute of limitations so if it doesn't go to court within two years from the incident it's going to be thrown out anyway just because it's over the um, limit or um, what's going to happen then is <clears throat> is they're actually going to have to bring in another therapist or yourself but they have to bring in somebody that has the same exact credentials as you, whether it's board certifications, DPT, et cetera. So what can happen is um, because you have a DPT, uh, an older PT may not be able to testify against you because they don't have the same credentials. And that's something that like, I would argue as a defense attorney, it would just be like, oh, this person doesn't have a DPT, so it's not the same credentials and that would just get the case thrown out. And that's what lots of people will do. But say there's a DPT coming against you with their DPT, uh, they would have to prove to the jury or the judge that whatever you did was so far below the standard of care that no other therapist who's currently licensed would have done the same exact thing. And that's very, very, very hard to prove. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then Abby said, any suggestions for how I should proceed after providing teletherapy, SLP, for my client who has been away for a couple of weeks in a state where I am not licensed? Well, have um, you been billing insurance? If so, I'm not really sure what to tell you besides to get a license in that state. Yeah. Um, and I feel like at this point, you know, if you've been providing services in a state that you're not licensed in, I mean, there's nothing you can do to go back and like take away the services. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you've been building insurances, um, good luck. Um, <laughs> I would wait until you have your license or just switch to wellness. If you haven't been building insurances, you're fine though. Yeah. Yeah, and no worries, Abby. <laughs> so just let us know. Um, and let's see. And then Tony says, I'm new to the business side of therapy. What would I need to set up an online business? Thank you for asking, Tony. I know who can help you with that. <laughs> um, it depends on the state that you're in. Um, most therapists offer an LLC, but there are some states like I think it's New York and Texas that prefer an, a PLLC. And then California, um, you can either, I know some therapists who are sole proprietors, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Um, the only other option is an S-Corp. So it depends on the state that you're in um, and you can look up what the state requires and prefers. Um, yeah, and also to answer that question before I get back to the prior question, because she just answered. Uh, so yeah. <clears throat> you actually don't need to set up a business to start an online. I do recommend that you do. Uh, however, mm -hmm. you can just start as a sole, uh, can't talk, sole proprietor. Yeah. Um, when I started my home health course, I did it all as a sole proprietor. I then opened an LLC and then went through and got my business checking, my EIN, et cetera. Uh, however, again, it's going to depend on your state, what you want to use if you're providing therapy or if you're just providing online services in general. 
mm-hmm. but but it's going to depend on what kind of business you want to run as as well so you got to check with your state or talk to morgan more about what's going on with you and then also you said oh he's medicare um yeah you might want to just build those as wellness that would be because you haven't submitted the claim yet uh you're gonna probably have to build those as wellness because if you submit them as insurance and you're not licensed in that state, though with this telehealth, and they'll probably realistically never find out or never care. And probably nobody would know this unless you posted this comment right here. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the smartest, smartest thing to do would be to submit those claims as wellness because patient is out of state. And then when they come back, you just continue. However, if they're going to be going there a lot and then you're going to work with them a lot, and they want to get a license in that state. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. So Good thing they haven't filed a claim yet. We can still fix it. Everything's fine. Yeah. Um, cool. And then <laughs> winky face from Abby. <laughs> um, cool. And then uh, one of the other questions I get asked a lot that I definitely wanted to ask you about, Brandon, is um, people ask if they can create like courses or general education programs um, and where they can sell those. Like, is it okay to sell those across state lines? Say it's like a shoulder program, you know, that a physical therapist made. What's the legalities with that? So as long as it's not saying, hey, this is going to cure your shoulder pain for life and it's advertised appropriately, you're completely fine. It needs to be general guidelines. It could be general exercises for shoulder training. There's lots of personal trainers out there who have gone and sold bulletproof shoulder programs or things along those lines, those names. And again, they're just one PDF or a video series or something along those lines. But it's basically a generalized program to build up shoulder strength. In this mm-hmm. example, that's completely fine. You can do whatever you want. There's no laws regarding that. Again, somebody's going to enter into a private contract with you of paying you for goods. Now, when it comes to being over a year-long program, you're going to need that to be in writing, but that's going to be a bit different. You're probably not going to be a year-long program, or if it is, you would have a contract saying that. But when it comes to creating any of these things, you can do whatever you want as long as you're not saying, like, hey, this is going to help you recover from a stroke. Hey, this is going to cure your rotator cuff um, tenosynovitis or something like that. So as long as it's not specific to a diagnosis, you're fine, and it's general advice, general education. Now, when it comes to being specific, you can obviously do Zoom calls, do other things with telehealth. But for general services, it's fine. Like, for example, I've been selling my home home health course now for three years. It teaches you everything about home health, teaches you how to get paid well in home health, but it doesn't teach you anything specific to anybody. It's just general to the industry. So you want to make whatever you're selling general to the industry that you're targeting. Okay, cool. And I know like you just mentioned like doing Zoom calls too. Like if I put together like a four week shoulder program can and it's I mean, I guess it would just fall under wellness, but like I could do a four week shoulder program, give it to somebody in North Dakota or whatever where I'm not licensed. And can I do Zoom calls with them and like help them progress the yeah, program? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's wellness. It's under wellness and you're not yeah. building. And again, it's their contract. If they say to you, Hey, I want to pay you, you know, like hundred dollars for 30 minutes of your time or whatever you're charging. And you mm-hmm. say, okay, we're going to Susan to call. That's fine. That's completely illegal again, because the pa- people don't realize that patients or clients have rights and, yeah. and businesses have rights too. Yeah. That's good to know for sure. So, um, 
Yeah, I know we we talked about this um, a few weeks ago now. If you guys haven't seen Brandon did a masterclass on YouTube, I know that there are some therapists here in the group who want to start YouTube channels. They had questions about, um, you know, putting up instructional videos, you know, like we just talked about and like what's legal and what's not. Um, but definitely check out his masterclass if you haven't, um, you know, but kind of like going along these lines. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing with YouTube now and how you're helping other therapists. So with YouTube, I've actually finally achieved my partner status, which means I get paid money to put ads on my videos, which is actually a lot harder <laughs> than you think it is. You, you need a thousand hours of watch time, or sorry, a thousand subscribers minimum and 4,000 hours of watch time within 12 months. And any 12 month period that you lose that, you actually lose your partnership status. So there's actually an incentive to keep putting out content now, which is actually good from YouTube's perspective. What I'm doing now is basically I got over 2,000 subscribers and became partner pretty quickly. So now what I'm doing is teaching other therapists how to do that, but then also how that can drive sales. Because had I never made that channel and grown, my content and product, my content and products never really would have taken off the way it did. Because YouTube again is a search engine. So mm -hmm. when I come to the masterclass, I'm actually designing a lower ticket course, and then I'm going to have a thing where you can work one on one with me as we go and build out your YouTube to make it as optimized as possible. Cool. Awesome. And so we'll definitely share links with you guys. Um, you know, Brandon's on Facebook too. So like if you have any other legal questions, definitely reach out to him. You can have him review your stuff. Um, you know, as far as like contents, waivers and all that stuff. And he has some pre-built ones too. But I think like my main takeaway so far, and I want to hear kind of like your number one thing that you want to leave us with. But my biggest takeaway is you can basically do whatever you want. <laughs> um, as far as like wellness and health coaching and stuff goes, like things that are a lot more like maintenance versus, you know, like more skilled care. Um, and you really just need to uh, understand your state line rules. You need to know that you need a license to do skilled therapy uh, in the state that uh, the patient is in. You need to have your paperwork in order. Um, and yeah, just, I think like stay within those boundaries and the guidelines you set for yourself. But otherwise everybody here who's wanting to do wellness, you can go ahead and do it and start charging for it. Sound good? All right. Any other questions? <laughs> um, do you have any like last like main points that you want to share about like any legal stuff that solo or new practitioners need to know about? Let me think. No, right now, I think we covered everything. I mean, it's really going to depend on your state. The number one thing you can do as a solo or new practitioner is go ahead and read your state practice act. I know everyone hears that, but realistically, that's the best thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And just familiarize yourself with it. And if you have questions, ask somebody who can help uh, help you with the law. So cool. Well, thank you so much, Brandon. We'll post your links and everything in here. Um, and you guys definitely check out um, the rest of the interview series. It's under the guide section here in the group. Um, there's stuff about YouTube, stuff about Facebook ads. Um, you know, we just did this legal mini class today. Um, and if there's anything else you guys have questions on, just let us know. And I hope you guys have a good rest of your night. Thank you to Brandon. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I am honored to be a part of this community and it is my hope that by spreading the stories of clinicians just like you who wanted something more and went after it, it will inspire you to create the life and career that you dream of. 
and that you worked so hard for. If this sounds like you and you're ready to get your business off the ground, please find me on Facebook in the Cash-Based Healthcare Entrepreneurs Group or on my website at morganmeese.com. I would love to speak with you. And you can also find me on Instagram at drmorganmeese. So who do you want to hear from next? Or would you like to be featured on this series? Please email me at morgan at I'll talk to you guys soon.